from the social justice classroom inside Hugh Boyd Secondary, this is Voices. A youth-created podcast driven by a steadfast commitment to improving the world around us. Good morning, Canada. Welcome to the Voices podcast. My name is Patrick, and today I'm joined by Rory and Heng. And today we have our special guest on the Voices podcast, Joe Roberts, who is better known as the Skid Row CEO. Joe, it is an honor. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Patrick, Heng, and I thought your story was rather special, and we are very thankful to have you on our podcast. Joe Roberts is a renowned expert on the topic of resiliency as someone who transformed his life from living on the streets as a drug addict, a drug addicted homeless man, to becoming an influential motivational speaker who consults for Fortune 500 companies. Our first question, could you describe your situation if you feel comfortable doing so about how you ended up living on the streets in poverty? Sure. So um, I grew up in, in a little place called Midland, Ontario. It's about an hour north of Toronto. And I was mm-hmm. grew up in a sort of a lower middle class family. And my father passed away very young. Um, I was eight, I was eight years old. And that left, um, that impacted our family in a couple of ways. The early childhood trauma and grief of losing mm-hmm. dad at a very early age had an impact on me. Um, and our family was impacted economically because okay. dad was the you know, the only one um, with a full-time job. The it's not that my mom couldn't have had a job. It was just she was a, a stay-at-home mom. So what happened next was a series of very unfortunate events. My mom remarried, and the man who came along next wasn't loving and supportive like my dad. He was a, a violent, abusive alcoholic. So at a, at a very young age, um, I was subjected to emotional and physical abuse. So there was two things going on. I had the trauma of losing dad and the ongoing abuse, mental, physical, and emotional abuse from my stepfather. And so when the opportunity presented itself at nine years old, I started to experiment with drugs. And I and I did that not because I was curious about getting high or using drugs. I did it because I wanted to fit in with my brother and his older friends. What sort of drugs were you experimenting with at such a young age? Yeah, so initially it was it was actually solvents. So, and I'm not sure if, if you'd be familiar with this, but um, if you, uh, substances like uh, gasoline or glue, they have, they have properties, like glue has something called acetone in it. Yeah. And, and so that's what they were doing, and they invited me, and I joined. It wasn't that I was you know, excited about sniffing glue. I, I just wanted to do what the other older boys were doing. Right. Like to fit in. Right. Exactly. And, and so, but, but what happened is under the influence. So so now I'm high and I go home and my stepfather's violence and, and bullying and abuse doesn't have the same impact on me. Right. So I, what, what inadvertently happened is by using drugs and in the beginning, it was, you know, glue, sniffing glue. Um, but it, 
you know, it quickly graduated to alcohol, marijuana, and then eventually uh, harder substances as my life went on. But yeah. what I had discovered in that experimentation in that process was how to like how to cope in an uncertain world. You think about COVID over the last couple of years and folks that are in your like young people your age and what you've had to go through with the disconnection and the, the social isolation. Um, there, this is why we're seeing an uptick in recreational drug use and in, in addiction to gaming, in addiction to social media. Because yeah. when human beings are in, a, in an environment of uncertainty, we look for ways to alter our emotional state. Yeah, and drugs just happen to be the easiest way to cope, right? Well, it was my way, right? Yeah. Some people overeat. Some people get addicted to social media. Well, yeah, Some everyone has gamble. their own battles. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but but what that did, so your initial question is, how did I end up homeless? So now on mm -hmm. this trajectory of, you know, alcohol and drug abuse, it was abuse in the beginning, but it, then it became, it became addiction. Right. By the time I was 15, I got kicked out of the house. At 16, I dropped out of school. And at 17, I found I left Ontario and I moved to Vancouver. Wow. And I found myself, you know, um, a teenager living, you know, hanging around on Granville Street. And, like near the east, like downtown east side? Well, not initially. No, I hung around the, I actually hung around the, the, um, uh the art gallery like up around Grand oh Street. yeah yeah you know and and sort of but but eventually as my drug use progressed and i got into more dangerous things like opiates heroin cocaine i eventually sort of graduated the postal code and ended up in the downtown east side right and so i was like i don't know how how old how old are we're you 17 we're all 17 yeah. Okay. So I was a year older than you, mm -hmm. and I was spending for myself in the downtown east side. Wow. Wow. That's. Yeah. Like, think about that. Like, I, I was, I didn't know how to make craft dinner. I had no business being on my own, on the mm -hmm. street. So, Joe, I was wondering what gave you the ambition or strength to make the physical change from being homeless and addicted on Skid Row to now the CEO of a company that is having a massive positive impact. I think, um, well, first of all, I think I was lucky that I had access to people that didn't give up on me. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think about your life. Yeah. There's, there's probably the last couple of years, or maybe before that, some rough patches. Because we all go through rough patches, right? Yeah. The difference between, you know, whether you'll end up homeless or dealing with a, a, a lot has to do with who's around you, mom, yeah. dad, extended family, um, you know, these kinds of things. For me, when I was on the street, I met a guy named Gus and, and I was dirty and disheveled. I pushed a shopping cart. And, and I remember sitting on a park bench right on Hastings street beside this, this man. And he mm -hmm. looked at me and he said, there's more to you than you can see, Joe. And it was the first time someone in my life spoke to my potential. Right. I certainly didn't look like potential. Okay. I was, you know, dirty hair, scruffy beard, black fingernails from dumpster diving and collecting cans and bottles. 
but he spoke to my potential. Shortly after that, um, I had an incident that uh, uh, led me to this decision to call my mom and ask for help. And she came out to Vancouver. She helped me up off the streets, took me back to Ontario, and I entered into a, a detox, which led to a full residential treatment program, uh, which then led me to going back to school. Mm -hmm. I graduated with honors, and I went out into the world, and I started to apply my talents. Now, what's really interesting is that when we go through really challenging stuff in life, bad, but there's also good. And I'll explain. The last two, two years, three years has been really challenging for everyone. Mm -hmm. But you will never look at the world without having seen it through the experience that you've been through the last three years. That adversity has helped shape who you are. And it's given you gifts and talents. You may not recognize those. You may not recognize those until later. Or you may never recognize it, but they're there. And so you ask the question, how did I go? The being on the street and having to deal with that adversity taught me some things, taught me how to communicate with people. Yeah. It taught me how to work hard. You know, being a being a homeless drug addict in Vancouver is a is two full-time jobs. It is a ton of work. Like on a day like today when it's cold, you're fighting to figure out where you're gonna sleep, you're fighting to figure out where you're gonna get the money, you're fighting, you're like you're working hard. But when I applied that into the business world, I started to succeed. The other thing that I had is that I woke up every morning with a with an unsolvable problem. And so when I got into business, it was really easy. It was like I saw the matrix. I it, it mm. just I looked at it and I just went, this is simple. And and so I applied myself and something really wonderful happened. And what Gus had told me on that park bench came true. There was more to me than I could see. You just have but, to tap into the potential, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. think about this. Here, I'll give you an example because think about a test or a project that you've delayed, that you procrastinated mm -hmm. on, you know, because you got fears, oh, I'm not good enough, or da, 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 whatever, all that little noise in your head. But then finally, it's crunch time. You got to get it done. It's the day before, you got to cram, you got to do whatever, you got to, you got to, you got to get, you got to ship this thing. You got to pack it and, and get it out or, or accept the consequences. You put your head down, you work really hard, you hand it in and you get a B. You hand it in, you get an A. Now, that A or B was always there. And so your possibility is on the other side of a set of actions that are not going to feel comfortable, period. Your possibility, everything, you know, all the difference and, and everything that you're going to do from this day forward in your life is, is on the other side of a set of actions. So you asked the question, how did I do it? I had the right people that encouraged me to take steps forward in the face of emotional uncertainty. Right, like you had the resources available to you. Yeah, I had people, I had access to treatment, I had access to education. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And I think that's key. Like, you know, when you read the bio, it sounds like I'm special. Okay, I've accomplished a couple things, but the reality is, is that I had access to people and, and process that, that gave me an opportunity. Had I been born in another country, maybe not. I mean, I'll take credit for taking a few steps forward, but had I not had access, and that, that's the biggest thing that we advocated, what we advocate for when we're talking about youth homeless, is to give every young person in this country the opportunity, regardless of their background, regardless of the mistakes they've made, 
to find their possibility to get, you know, to get through their education and to go out in the world and become the people that they're supposed to be. What were some significant challenges that you encountered on your journey? Yeah, countless, countless challenges. And I still face them. I wake up every morning facing challenges. But I also invite adversity into my life today because I know that there's value in, in taking on things that are hard. You know, the greatest part of life is, is taking steps towards things that, you know, scare, scare you a bit. Like getting out of your comfort zone, right? Yeah, totally getting out of your comfort zone because right on the other side of that, you know, it's like, I'm afraid of heights, but I parachuted and I bungee jumped. Why? Because I'm afraid of heights. That's why. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I get I get way more than my money's worth when I do that stuff. <laughs> yeah. But the, the feeling of exhilaration and leaning into something that scares you a lot is is really rewarding because you realize on the other side of that that you're not. That you can so, do it. Right? Yeah, I think I faced a lot of mental noise, a lot of uh, a lot of emotional you know, just because I'm off the streets and I've been sober for a few decades doesn't mean that I don't still feel and think that way. Sometimes I have really self-degrading thoughts about myself. I'm not good enough. It doesn't matter. I got all the awards on the wall, but I still have those feelings. So but what I know today is that, one, I've got access to people and mentors and, and support. And it doesn't matter how I feel. It just matters what I do next. So but on the street, I would say one of the greatest challenges was not being cold or hungry or wet. It was being lonely. It was being depressed. You know, the hopelessness and despair was probably way more impactful for me than right. being hungry or cold. Did you end up finding any, like a community or something to, to be a part of while you were homeless? Yeah, definitely. And there was definitely some of that. In fact, there's people that I, I still know um, who were lucky enough to survive that process. Yeah. And there was there was some pretty interesting bonds that were created with with uh, mm -hmm. different friends and different people. Um, but but at the end of the day, you're still doing it alone. You might it's just kind of like normal life. It's like you might go and hang out with your 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 buds or go shoot some hoops or something. But at the end of the day, you got to go home to your own room. You got to face your own your own emotional demons and stuff, right? What are some things that went well along your journey? Well, again, this is just sort of luck, but I was using drugs during a time where there was an AIDS epidemic, and I didn't I didn't get HIV, I didn't get hepatitis C. I could have easily been a statistic in in, in the overdose crisis. Um, what went well for me is once I started to move away. I started to do well at school and my confidence started to grow. I, I, it turned out that I wasn't, you know, a dumb kid after all, I was actually pretty intelligent. Mm -hmm. um, so I excelled in school. When I went out into the business, the timing of when I started in business was the late 1990s when the dot-com explosion was happening. Right. Here in Vancouver, it was, it was a hotbed of, of business activity. It was so exciting. And I was, in the middle of that you know i was i we our company was streaming media on the internet before youtube really like you know, your company like this uh well our company was called mindware uh, design and we were a content development company so mm -hmm. imagine the world where companies ha don't have a web presence that was wow. where we started they, you know you're dealing with companies the big companies like yeah. multi-billion dollar companies that didn't have a website. And what our company did is we came along and said, 
um, we know how to do it. We know how to do it well. And, and so it was just a very exciting time. And so to answer the question, you know, what went well, timing was, was good. I had access to resources. Um, and a lot of my lived experience ended up being an asset. Um, why do you think poverty and homelessness are still ongoing issues today? Well, there's lots going on. I think yeah. that poverty and homelessness are similar, but they're different things. Really? Okay. Do you elaborate yeah. on that? Okay, so poverty, poverty could stem from 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 a bunch of things. Poverty could be lack of education, lack of employment. Poverty right now is created by inflation. Mm -hmm. So there were people a year ago that could afford their groceries and hydro bill. They can't afford their groceries and hydro, hydro bill today by no fault of their own. That's, 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 you know, that that's an issue. Inflation is an issue of poverty. Yeah. Homelessness involves far more other antecedents or root causes. Why someone is homeless is incredibly varied. You could be homeless because you were, you were traumatized or abused as, as a, 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 as an infant, you could be, you could be homeless because of mental illness. You could be homeless because of um, because of, of of poverty and addiction. You could be homeless, like there's just so many. You could be homeless because you were in a car accident, you got divorced, you got in a fight with your roommate, and now you're sleeping in your car. So you could be homeless because you're 15 or 17 and you get a fight with your caregivers or mom and dad. And you slam the door and out, and out to the community you go. Now you wouldn't be physical, you wouldn't be visibly homeless. You'd be couch surfing. Yeah, but that's that's a form of, of homelessness. So, um, why I think it exists is is uh, why I think hom homelessness exists. Why poverty exists is it's part of the failed capitalistic project and system that we live in. But mm -hmm. I, I won't go too far down the wormhole on that. If you want to read right. or understand, there's a guy named Noam Chomsky that's that's really a brilliant Noam Chomsky. Yeah, Noam Chomsky. Yeah, it's just this this great sort of corporate inequity, and and we're we're furthering the the, the gaps between the haves and the have-nots, and that's going to continue to widen. Uh, when I was when I was your age, there was a middle class in Canada. There isn't anymore. Middle class is it's a it's a class of people with inside a, a, a social construct that they're not really rich, but they're not really poor. They're they're like they're, in the middle, right? Yeah, they're middle. So you know, they have jobs and they have a house and they have a they have a car. They're not they're not ultra wealthy. Yeah. And there used to be a lot of middle class in Canada, the United States, and that it, it's it's shrunk. And so there's a lot more upper upper very very rich and very very poor people now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a number of reasons why that is the way it is. But I'll focus more on on the topic that I know best, which is homelessness. Right. So. I think why homelessness continues to exist is, is a number of reasons. We, um, one is, is, is economics. Two is that we're seeing this massive, massive, massive influx of synthetic, synthetic drugs. Synthetic mm -hmm. drugs across Canada, the United States are in every little community. In, in towns that have two and 3,000 people, they have an opioid problem. That never existed when I was your age. Really? Yeah. So when I was growing up, drugs in the 1970s and the 1980s, drugs were plant-based. You had cocaine, which came from cocoa leaves. You had heroin, which yeah. came from poppies. You had marijuana, which was a plant, right? So yeah. all of the drugs, all of the illicit drugs were, were primarily 
primarily plant-based. Today, things like ecstasy, things like uh, meth, methamphetamine, crystal meth, and fentanyl are made in labs, and they're being distributed by these incredibly sophisticated corporate-like cartels. And they're right. they're so the the drug the synthetic drug problem is absolutely phenomenal. And there's a great book by, by a guy named uh, Sam Coinus. It's a Q, uh, and he talks about the proliferation. He he first wrote a book about the opioid crisis, and now he wrote a follow up book on the synthetic drug crisis. So right. that's huge. And so, so that combined with mental health, combined with a lack of housing and things like inflation. And, you know, you look at the city of Vancouver, there's just not a lot of affordable housing. It creates this perfect storm. When I was on the streets in 1986, 87, 88, 89, early 90s, you could still get a place to live if you wanted to you know, put your welfare check together with another, you know, you could get an apartment, you can't. And that's yeah. why you're seeing so much of it. And it's not just Vancouver, it's, it's all across North America. And so I think one of the biggest pieces is, is that yes, it's about affordable housing. Yes, it's the, the, the drug, uh, the, the proliferation of synthetic drugs, but it's, it's, a, it's an incredibly difficult thing for a government that has four to eight years of accountability to solve. If homelessness affected Twitter's stock share price, Elon Musk would solve it. If if homelessness affected Amazon's stock price, Bezos would fix it. But right. it doesn't. So though it's left to it, it's left policymakers and, and government to try and fix it. And, and I don't think they've quite got their head wrapped around it. So we were wondering what does your company provide or what is your company's main mission? So the company Mindware is is I'm not a part of that anymore. In 2003, we built the company and then I, 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 I moved away from that. Um, my daughter was born in, in 03 and I decided I wanted to do something that had a little bit more meaning and purpose. And that's when I got into speaking and doing advocacy work. So in 2016 and 17, I, I walked across Canada pushing a shopping cart, which is a symbol of chronic homelessness, uh, 9,000 kilometers. Wow. Really? Google the push for change and you'll you'll see. It took me um, 17 months and I walked 9,000 kilometers across Canada. And what that led to is the, um, the building of this foundation called the push for change. So there's two things that I do right now. I spend my time in the foundation and what we do is we support uh, youth empowerment projects inside schools all across Canada. And we give away money, we give away grant money. The second thing I do is I do a lot of impact speaking, inspirational speaking. And so I would say that what I, the value or the thing that I'm most interested in right now is human potential and possibility. What I get up every single morning looking for is is a group of people to talk to, whether that's through a podcast or a, a conference or a school presentation, to share my honest story of struggle, pain, mental health, but also the triumph and and how inside each and every one of us, we have that same access to that same possibility. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what I get a, a kick out of. I, I just came back from Myrtle Beach in uh, South Carolina, where I spoke to you know a group of law enforcement professionals. Um, mm-hmm. I'll go and I'll speak to schools. I'll speak to nurses. I'll speak to police chiefs. I'll speak to fire professionals. Uh, I'll go into multiple different high schools. What inspired you to become a, a motivational speaker? 
And did you ever encounter any like doubts or fear of public speaking? Oh yeah. <laughs> a couple of times I bombed. I bombed in front of a group in Toronto. Oh, a thousand oh, no. people. It was a, yeah, it was a thousand people. And I and I walked out <laughs> and I just I just dunked the place up. But guess what? Nothing happened. It's not like the parachute didn't open, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you did. The thing is, is that you, I, I'm in front of audiences three to five times a week. Like this morning, I was on a virtual call where I spoke to 42 senior leaders in the developmental services sector in Ontario. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we do virtual, we do in person. I think why I got into it is I have a, a real passion for getting people to, for one, inspiring people to get them to see and understand through the story, through the allegory, that there's more inside each and every one of us than we can see. You see what Gus said to me on that on that park bench years and years ago, that there's mm -hmm. more to me than I can see. That can be said for every human being. And you and you'd like to spread that message. Oh for yeah, that's yeah. Cool. I, I do I do that I do that stuff for free sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I'm gonna ask if you still talk to Gus today no actually i he spent 10 minutes with me on a park bench in front of the old army and navy store on hastings and i never saw him again oh that's sad. wow that's um but think about that think about like I me mean, think about your life who you are you know there's people who've got their fingerprints on your life and help yeah. shape your character your worldview sometimes it's mom and dad sometimes it's not sometimes it's a coach or a teacher yeah, a friend, a mentor, a boyfriend, a girl, right? And it's those people that. This is what I get excited about is that I get I get up I get to get up in front of thousands of people every week, and and just leave that little mark. And and I have no idea what happens to most of them. I I, I mean I'll, I'll sometimes I run into people ten years later and they tell me what happened, but That's most cool. of them they don't. Yeah, I think it's rewarding work. I think. Look, I, I went out and I made lots of money and, and money's nice. I mean, it buys you uh, some freedom and, and, and luxury and lifestyles, you know, cool. Yeah. But I think a higher calling is when we do things that impact other human beings. That to me is, yeah, I get a kick out of that stuff. Like in the grand scheme of things, money is not really what's important. What's important is like leaving your mark for, for people to take something out of what you're saying, right? And yeah, it changed and, their lives like the way it changed yours with Gus. Exactly. Right. That's Maybe. right. And you can be someone's Gus, and you and you may already have been someone's Gus. Yeah. So and that that's so when we talk about you know mentorship and leadership, mm -hmm. right? You know, if you've been involved in any kind of sports teams, this is some, this is stuff that's big. It's not just about playing the sport well, although you want to give your best. It's also about team. It's about it's about a higher calling and a higher set of values that we want to we want to hold ourselves to, right? When I watch the NFL or the NBA or or uh, you know some I, that I love I love those players that are out in the community doing real good stuff. They're leveraging their brand and they're doing good work with it, right? That to me I think is is awesome. Um, our time is almost up, but um, uh, we'd like to ask the final question: um, How can we help as citizens of the Greater Vancouver area to combat poverty, homelessness, or addiction? I think it's to pick a fight with something that you're passionate about and 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 lean into it. And what that looks like could be different for different folks. So 
when I was when I was on the street in 1989, I sold my boots to support my my drug dependency, and it was one of the worst days of my life. And I, I remember on the on the street corner, I made a promise that if I got a second chance, I'd pay it forward. And the push for change walk across Canada was that promise realized. Now think about this. Think about if every single person in Vancouver made a small promise. They don't have to walk across Canada and make a difference, but you made one small promise, and you kept it. Think about what this community would look like if everybody did that on one day next week, right? Find yeah. the thing that makes, you know, find the thing that you're passionate about. Maybe it's supporting Covenant House. Maybe it's doing a food drive. Maybe it's doing a mental health awareness uh, campaign in your school. Maybe it's supporting a, a, a donating your time, right? right. Yeah. I think the key piece here is to, is, to, is to be curiously empathic. When we see homelessness, we want to ask the question, what happened before that happened? Right. right? Yeah. We'll never get to a place where we solve some of the bigger problems that we have within our, you know, within our society if we don't ask those empathic questions. Even if you, we built all the houses and, and gave everyone keys to a new house tomorrow, we're not going to get there without, without, uh, without, without, without empathy and understanding the issues. And so th to answer Absolutely. your question is, if we all did something small to support the cause in, in ways that are passionate for us personally, mm -hmm. I think that's one of the best ways that we can make a difference because we are also now creating a community that's all empathy based. Yeah, I agree with that. Like if everyone kind of does their part, even if it's like a little thing, just, just the fact that there's so many of us, it can lead to some pretty good change, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Great. Well, um, thanks a lot, Joe, for um, a lot. for talking on our podcast. We appreciate your words. Yeah, we appreciate all three of you. Thank you so yeah, much. Thank you and, so uh, much. Feel free to circle back uh, at some other point in time and uh, have yourself a great holiday. All right. Thank you. Thank you. you too, yeah. Joe. Bye. Take care.